Big questions are, how do business owners like us spending our own money, time, and effort, how do we grow our business and jump the line? That lets us accelerate the delivery of our products and services in our community while being smart about our growth, profits, culture, and still create lasting value in our business. Those are the questions, and this podcast will share some of those answers. Today's guests are Steve Urban, CEO and co-founder, and Scott Kagaris, CRO and co-founder of RiderFlex, a global recruiting and consulting firm. My name is Bob Rourke. Welcome to Business Leaders Podcast. Well, guys, thanks so much for being on the show. It has been a long time. Last time we talked was February of 2018 on one of the mm. early podcasts for Business Leaders Podcast. And you guys have just been hitting it out of the park. Amazing reviews, five-star reviews, what, counting over 200 now? Over 200, that's right, yep. And you guys are, I tell you what, rather than me say, what is it that you guys offer to your customers? What is it you do? How about, I tell you what, Bob, I'll let Scott answer that. But before he does, I just want to say uh, for the listeners, glad to be back on the show. Bob, uh, if it wasn't for you, I don't think the RiderFlex podcast that we do, I mean, we're a recruiting firm and that's what we're here to talk about is our recruiting business. But we also have a podcast. Our podcast would not exist if it wasn't for you because you gave us that suggestion way back a long time ago. And uh, I always think to myself, it wouldn't exist. The podcast that we have would not exist without Bob. So I want to say thank you for the mentoring and advice you gave us way back then. You have a wonderful show and all the guests that you've had on. And I, I try to mimic that a little bit and follow your lead, uh, especially early on when I was first getting started. So thank you for the advice and uh, the, the relationship that we have uh, with Bob Rourke is really appreciated. Just want to make sure I say that right up front for the listeners. To you guys' credit, you are the fastest adopting podcaster ever. I talked to you one week and you had it running the next Tuesday. And I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's Steve's operations background right there coming through. He gets, he gets it going and makes it happen. Perfect. <laughs> Bob, you're looking good. You're looking good, by the way. I don't know how you stay in such good shape. It's what what do you use? Makeup and bigger clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're, look, you're looking good, man. Hopefully, uh, we'll get a chance to see you soon and have some happy hour time or something. But anyway, yeah, for the listeners, RiderFlex is a generalist boutique recruiting firm. All industries, all functions, nationwide, C-level to associates. And we're having great success building the company. Scott and I you know, started it well, really late 2016. We both came from... Executive backgrounds. I was an operations guy. Scott was a sales guy. We had met each other working at a, a horticulture outfit. We bonded. We had a lot of similarities and we, you know, enjoyed being around each other. And so we stayed in touch. And I called him and said, Hey, I want to turn RiderFlex into a recruiting firm. And, you know, he's like, What? <laughs> why? There's 20,000 recruiters. Why do we want to do that? And I said, Yeah, I know, but most of them suck. I mean, we can do better. I think we can do a lot better. I got some ideas on how to do it the right way because I had dealt with recruiters. I had hired recruiters. Recruiters had worked for me because I had run a couple of $40 million companies as a CEO. So I had a lot of experience at hiring and interviewing and dealing with recruiters, and I knew it could be done better. So at Buffalo Wild Wings, after the third or fourth beer, I finally you know, scratched out on a napkin what I thought we should do. And, and I was trying to convince Scott to, to come help me do it because I was an ops guy, but Scott was sales. And I, I knew that he could sell it and then I could execute it. And so that's kind of how I got started. But I'll let Scott give a better overview of kind of who we are and what our secret sauce is as a search firm. Go ahead, Scott. 
Yeah, I think, Bob, for us, it was, you know, all comes down to why did we start it? And as Steve said, you know, we were executives leading companies and it really just came down to our experiences. So when he says that most of them suck, the part that we found was lacking where there was a lack of value was really that attention to, you know, our company and our culture and our needs and what we were needing. And it really felt like, and it still feels like, with all the new technology that's out there and all the different algorithms that you can run, that, that people are now a commodity. It feels like a lot of the recruiting has turned people into a commodity. And we really are just trading paper, right? It is a job description for a resume. We call it racing resumes. And most recruiting firms are just quickly trying to grab some resumes and match that to the job descriptions in an effort to to get paid and make employment matches. And so we started the company RiderFlex because we felt like the industry was broken and we felt like there was a a better way. And really what we're trying to do is put an emphasis and a focus back on the company, the company and the culture. And when we say culture, we're really talking about how companies work. How do companies work? What's their headcount? What's their revenue? What's their revenue growth? What is the leadership style? Who are the hiring managers? How, How do all these people and these pieces come together and function as an organization because the best algorithms out there can very easily go scrape the internet, pull down 30 to 40 profiles from individuals, match keywords, and all those people maybe tactically can do the job, but really the heart of it and the meat of it comes down to being very thorough and interviewing and selecting folks that have the personality, the character, the attributes, and most importantly, the experiences to fit well with how an organization operates and and works. Of all these people that might match on paper, some are going to be well-suited for Fortune 500, big organizations, let me come in, do my thing, retreat to my home, and then just do that over and over and over again. And they're comfortable in that, and that's great. There's a place for everybody that has that particular profile. There's other people that enjoy risk. They enjoy the fast pace of maybe a startup and scaling and wearing many hats. And in some cases, their compensation is geared towards maybe some equity in the organization and they can forego some of that upfront compensation. And so our whole purpose and and process is designed to, one, dig in with the organization at the beginning, do a very good, thorough discovery call where we get to talk with as many people as possible that are involved with the hiring process. It could be an owner and the founders. It could be just the hiring managers. It could be any individual that's responsible for hiring and working with the candidates that are going to be coming through, doing that deep dive discovery call, and then going out there and having our recruiters, very, very, very talented team, go out there and do a very exhaustive and and, and thorough search to not only find individuals who can do the job, because obviously these people have to check the boxes and, and come in and be able to tactically perform you know, on the role itself, but also get deep with these candidates. And we do that through video interviews. And Steve has conducted most of those at the very beginning. We now have another executive level individual, Becky Roach, on our team, who also conducts these video interviews. These are individuals, Steve and Becky, that have built hundreds of teams, hired thousands of people, and really know how to have a conversation with an individual to just understand them, learn about who they are, learn about those experiences, that character, those attributes, and really help along with the recruiter 
decide if this individual is going to work well within the organization. If somebody gets to a video interview, they tactically can do the job. A plus, they're a good fit. They'll be able to come in and execute. The video interview is really designed to talk to the candidate, talk to the individual, and make sure they're going to work well with, with Bob or with whoever the owner of the organization is. And so it's been a very, very, very good process for us since we started in 2016. We've got 2,000. Last four years, we've had 2,000 placements. We've created a database of almost 200,000 potential candidates for our team to, to look through along with new people that we can pull in. It's created a 90 plus percent. Many times it hovers around 96% retention rate for that manager level and up individuals. And so it's really contributed well to our clients in, in building strong, long-lasting teams to the point where once once we're able to work with a, with a particular company and hiring managers, you know, they trust us and our team to do it for them again and again when they need more help. And so again, an all-out effort to really make sure that we're moving past the algorithm and ensuring that we're bringing the best quality individual and talent to an organization to, to fit how they work. And so, mm-hmm. well, Steve, what else, is, what else is in there with that? I mean, you covered that pretty well for the listeners. If you need staff, right, if you need to hire people and you don't have time, but let's say you're a startup to mid-sized company, you're overwhelmed, you're scaling up, you need to hire five people, you don't have time, you don't have an in-house HR person or you don't have an in-house recruiter, or if you do, they're totally overwhelmed or they don't have time to find people, I would give RiderFlex a call. We're happy to help you. Our prices are generally 25% lower than most of the competition because we have very low overhead, no office, and Scott and I don't pay ourselves big salaries. So our prices are very, very competitive. I would give us a call. If you do give us a call, I think what's important to keep in mind and you know, taking from what Scott said, we are going to get to know you the client. We want to know how you work, what your style is. And then we're going to take time to find candidates that fit that. And we're going to put them through video interviews and the exhaust efforts to make sure they match you. What we won't do is race resumes. If you call us and you say, I need a VP of sales, we're not going to start sending you resumes two days later. <laughs> we're going to go through a process where we're vetting two or 300 people. We're doing 30 or 40 phone screens. We're doing 10 or 15 video interviews. And then we're picking three or four finalists to give to you, which will happen over 30 days or so. People get confused. I think a lot of executives that don't know how the recruiting world works, they are attracted at first to this contingency bullshit that, that some of these firms pitch. You know, they say these firms will, these search firms will call an executive and they'll say, Hey, you don't have to have an agreement. We don't have to have a relationship. We don't have to sign a contract. You don't have to give us a deposit up front. You don't have to give us an exclusive. Just let us work on it and we'll start shoving you resumes you know, as quickly as possible. And the executive hears this and they're thinking, oh, wow, that's so awesome. I don't have to put up a deposit. I don't have to have an exclusive. They're just going to send me people. I don't have to pay them anything unless I hire somebody. Cool. Well, what happens then is they get a watered down, shitty service from some recruiter that doesn't even know the company, hasn't even talked to the hiring manager, and they just start shoving resumes where... Keywords from the resumes match keywords on the job description. <laughs> I mean, that's not recruiting. That's admin work. That's algorithm work or administrative work. That's not real recruiting. That's not what we do. We're going to spend time vetting the right people to match your company. Here's a great example. Everybody talks about startups and how matching co-founder personalities and styles early on in a startup is so critical. Everybody talks about it, like, oh my God, make sure 
the startups and the founders that they get along, their styles, their personalities, because it's going to be so important because you guys are going to be living and breathing and working together. And that's really going to make or break the company long term is whether or not the founders get along. But then as the company grows, right, you move away from that. And then all of a sudden hiring managers get into this racing resumes, algorithm, keyword bullshit, and they stop focusing on whether or not the person's right for the company culture. I think that's fascinating. The reason Scott and I are in our fifth year and we've grown 30, 40, 50% every year since we started and we're still growing and we're having a shit ton of fun is because we get along. <laughs> I can talk to Scott about, I don't know, maybe my wife's getting on my nerves this week. I call him and be like, hey, man, my wife's bothering me. I want to talk to you about it or whatever. <laughs> we can talk about politics. We can talk about sports. We can have beers together, whatever. We just, all those things matter. They really matter because you're working with these people side by side. And so it's interesting that we get away from that. Startups concentrate heavily on making sure people get along early on, but then as they get bigger, they just start hiring for keywords. And I think that's a mistake. So anyway, we've been rambling on a bunch now, Bob. I'll let you ask us some more questions. <laughs> I, I think about you guys, you know, and you guys get along. And, you know, or you wouldn't still yeah. be doing, been adding. How many folks work with RiderFlex now in, in your team? Yeah, we have 15 people active total right now, but that does scale up and scale down depending on how many projects we have going on. We have five full-time employees, 10 contractors, and the contractor group scales up and down depending on how busy we are. But it's grown, keeps growing. We keep adding 1099 contractors. And, you know, the culture is so important. Yeah, people talk about it. They use that buzzword. Everybody likes to... Everybody likes to say culture and everything on social media, but do they really emphasize it and mean it when they deal with their team? Do they really take action on it versus just using it as a buzzword? For us, it's critical. Like we want the employees to love working here. We want them to have work-life balance. We want them to have flexibility on their schedules. We want them to be able to work remote from wherever they want. We want them to work on assignments that they enjoy. And that is reflected in our Glassdoor reviews, which are very strong from our team because it's very important for us to have them love being here. We don't want it to just be a job. And so we build this culture where we basically say, hey, look, I don't care if you work 5 a.m. to 1 p.m., 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. I really don't give a shit. Just get the job done. <laughs> if you want to work from the beach with your laptop, or if you want to, I don't know, work at the library, I don't care. We give them lots of flexibility with scheduling, lots of flexibility with where they work from, and we give them lots of autonomy to be able to, to do the job. We don't micromanage them, and we want it to be a fun, enjoyable culture where family and work-life balance matters. That is very, very important because Scott and I had talked way early on. You know, he was very good early on. Scott would tell me, you know, we'll be having beers. And he's like, look, man, he's like, if we're not having a little bit of fun doing this, you know, I don't care how much money we're making. I don't want to do it unless we're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I really think that's important. You know, as you, as you get older, you really start to realize like, wow, you know, life is kind of short. Like, I want to enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, you know, if you make a million dollars a year, but you're miserable. Is your life better if you make $500,000 a year and you love who you're working with and you're having a shit ton of fun? I think it is. And that's an example of the culture we have here. It's really, really important uh, to us. And we spend a lot of time on that. So 
think that just to piggyback that, Bob, just real quick, you know, the culture thing, practice what you preach. We're very diligent about that as, as well. Yes. When we talk to contractors or people, even our full-time employees that, that want to be on the team, and we spend a lot of time up front, you know, asking, interviewing them, talking to them, getting them on video, asking why Rider Flex, why Rider, making sure they've done their homework, looked at uh, who we yeah. are and how we operate. You know, hiring's not perfect. Hiring's not perfect. They haven't all lasted, but the majority of the team that we've got in place fit the culture well. We love working with them. They love working with us and really are the, the key contributors to that growth. You know, Steve mentioned some stats there on the growth we've had. It's because we all enjoy working together. We know what the goal is. We're all pushing in the same direction and everybody fits the culture well. And we have a lot of fun doing it. So, you know, the thing that strikes me is you kind of got to eat your own cooking, you know, and if you're not taking doing the same thing in your company that you're doing for your customer, it's pretty evident pretty quickly. Right. I work with a number of business owners and, and firms that actively buy and sell companies. And what struck me is in many cases, you'll find a company where the founder is ready to exit and they find out that it really has a job and it doesn't really have a team. And so <laughs> the people that are advising him says, you really need to start building out your team so this business can function without you being here. Mm-hmm. Let's say I'm the quintessential entrepreneur. You know, I do payroll. I do all my work. I'm the CEO, yep. the CEO on the main sale. I do everything. I'm doing fairly good in the revenue space. What kind of conversation would you have with me, that business owner, start trying to establish pecking order on who you hire first and what might you ask that individual? You want me to start on that, Scott? So really relevant to where we are as a company because we've grown, right? Scott and I started started doing everything ourselves. Uh, I mean, everything. You, just like you said, we're licking the stamps. We're we're doing it all. <laughs> and so, but as we grew, you know, you have to eventually hire people that you can delegate to because you just can't do it all as a founder. I think most founders start out that way, but you can't do it all. You do have to eventually delegate. I would encourage a few things. First of all, I would hire people that fit your style and culture over specific experiences. I think that's important. Let me give you a perfect example. Brianna Derrera, who is our VP of operations now and has been with Scott and I almost since the beginning, she controls all of ops and HR. She grew with us. We knew that she fit our style, our personality, our culture. We knew she could put up with me and Scott. (laughs) Was she qualified on paper at the time to end up being in the job she's in? No, but now she's fantastic at it. And she's been with us for four or five years now. So I think my point is hire people that match you and teach them the skills they need to have to help you grow as a company when you can. You can't always do that because let's say you need a software developer and you don't know how to write code and you got to bring in somebody to write code for you. That's a little different. But if you can, bring in people that fit your style and then teach them what you need them to do. Delegate what you already know how to do first. And then that frees you up as a founder to work on other things. And if you delegate what you already know how to do, it's easy to follow up and make sure that the person you gave it to is doing it right. That's number one. The other thing I would say is learn to understand, especially in the service business, learn to understand that as you grow, you are putting the reputation of your brand in the hands of other people. That can be very stressful, right? Like when we first started as a firm, I did all the recruiting. There was just me. I'm the one that selected the candidates. I'm the one that 
made sure the clients were happy with the people we presented, and Scott took care of them on the sales and biz dev side. When we started hiring recruiters, all of a sudden, our reputation and the results that we produce are in the hands of other people. That was scarier than hell, to be perfectly honest, because our reputation already started to grow. We already had good reviews. And now we're like, okay, we've got these three recruiters. I sure hope they don't mess us up because we've worked really hard to build our reputation. That's scary. My advice would be to ensure that those people you're bringing on understand how much time you've spent on the brand and the reputation. Make sure they feel your conviction around how important it is that you keep status quo with your image and that you will basically cut their head off if they screw it up. No, I'm just just joking about that, but (laughs) just make sure they understand your conviction around it and then they'll buy into that. They will buy into like, oh, okay. Wow, they got this brand, they got this reputation. Like, wow, look at these reviews. Like, okay, I don't I don't want to be the recruiter to mess this up. So let me make sure I do a good job too. I think that's very important. The one thing I would add, Bob, is definitely highly encourage owners and people in that situation to tamper the idea of perfection. A lot of times we, you know, the initial conversation, you know, this is very important hire. I'm looking for that perfect candidate. I mean, the realistic nature of hiring and recruiting and, and bringing on talent is you can infinitely be on a search and looking for an individual. And there will always constantly be talent, you know, available or coming to light. Everybody's always kind of looking for that that perfect person, that perfect candidate, that perfect one to come through. And really our encouragement is always, hey, look, if we've got the majority of those boxes checked and it feels good, it feels right. I enjoy talking to this person. I can see myself looking, you know, working with them long-term, make the move. Make the move. Go ahead and just do it. Have the courage. Make that move. Make the offer. Bring that individual in and start working with them because there really is no perfect person or perfect candidate. And a lot of times if it feels right and it just feels good, that's usually the moment when owners and hiring managers should be making the move to extend an offer and and bring that individual onto the team. Because, again, you could do this forever. But eventually, you know, you need to make a hire. And if you, you get to the point where you've got those skills in place, majority of them, and it feels good pull it in and eliminate that word perfection, that idea of perfection out there. Isn't it interesting, Bob, how, you know, when people leave jobs or they quit, 95% of the time, it's because they didn't like somebody at the office or they didn't like their boss or they didn't like the culture or they didn't like the style of the company. It usually comes down to some sort of human element when they leave. We lose sight of that. I think hiring managers lose sight of that, right? They don't think about that. Then then they call us and they say, okay, I want a VP of sales and I want them to have this specific background. And as long as they have all these specific backgrounds and experiences, I'm ready to hire them. And I'm like, no, you need. You also need to make sure to match your personality as a hiring manager. Are they going to get along with you? Are they going to be okay in the company culture and with your style? And they need to focus on that. I think we get away from that. I think the staffing and recruiting industry is like Scott said, they're trying to, and nothing against all the AI and tech people out there. Hey, I appreciate what you do for a living. But hiring is so much more than the robot looking at a resume saying that this person can do the job and then it's going to work out. It's so much more than that. We're, we're humans working with humans and you got to make sure these human beings get along. I don't care if the resume keywords match the job description, and the robot algorithm said this person could do the job. You better make sure that you get along with the person as a human being because that's what matters at the end of the day, and that's why people quit. Here's a perfect example of the stuff that we do. We have this client. I won't mention the name, but the CEO is very, what's the word, flamboyant, gregarious, outspoken, loud, unorganized, crazy, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
right. You know, and now, hey, he's built, he's built a successful company. So, you know, kudos. They're making money. They're growing. So he can have whatever style he wants, right? I'm not going to try to change who he is as a person. And he curses a lot and he's super loud and, you know, all these things. And I'm not going to send over a candidate. I'm not going to send Mary over there who's like super quiet and timid, like librarian style. And, you know, told me, she told me she goes to church every Sunday. I didn't ask about her religion in the interview, but let's say she told me she goes to church every Sunday and blah, blah, blah. Look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to send that style into that environment. It's not going to work out. And that, that's what we try to do. We really try to see if the person can match the environment and live in that environment. Cause at the end of the day, Mary's not going to be happy with a super loud CEO that curses all the time. She's just going to quit. And so we want to make sure we, we match the right style there. In thinking about the competitive environment, we've got a whole generation. I think I saw some statistics that baby boomers, like 12,000 a day starting here in a couple of years, going to be retiring. So you guys mm-hmm. have a very competitive environment. The, the business owner's got a competitive environment. What types of insights would you offer to that business owner, given the environment that we're operating in, to attract and retain high-quality talent? What do you think? You see both ends of the spectrum. You know, people that do it really well and people that just seem to be at the pump all the time trying to take and refill the tank that they just lost. Yeah. You know, make sure you have a good culture and a good reputation online. That'll make people interested in your company. I think that's very important. And make sure that your interview process is not long and crazy drug out type of process to where it's unattractive for the candidate. I think that's another thing. So good culture, good reputation, a quick, speedy interview process to be able to select talent and get them in the door quickly. I think a lot of processes are just, they're too intense. They take too long and it scares candidates off and they end up getting hired somewhere else. So make sure you have a good, quick uh, process to hire. Don't be afraid to look at older employees. There are a ton of 50 to 65-year-old candidates out there with a great amount of experience who people are overlooking. And I would encourage more people to look at those folks. That's another thing. Scott, anything you want to add to that? I think the question was, how do you attract and retain the right talent? Go ahead. Yeah, I think all of those things that Steve said, but then just to reemphasize the the process piece where we see a lot of organizations getting hung up and challenged is, I mean, there's thorough and then there's overkill, right? I mean, you can be thorough and efficient with your interview process and make it quick, as Steve stated, without having overkill. Four-hour interviews, five, six, seven meetings just becomes hard. It becomes cumbersome. And, and right now, currently, with those opportunities out there for people, they don't they don't have to sit through a four-hour interview or do five, six different meetings with, with different hiring managers. So of all those people's opinions and evaluations of these candidates are important, company needs to be strategic about it. how can we get all these people involved but tighten that up and make it a much more efficient but thorough thorough process and the better they can do that the better they'll be able to bring on the best talent out there and not have them move to other offers that are being given i would add a few more things bob you know the old days of eight to five set in your cubicle drive to a building monday through friday i don't want to say it's over but it's definitely changing. And and if you're this old school business owner that still tries to force that environment, you're behind the eight ball. You need to create a very flexible, fun work environment that can be remote when possible, that has flexible hours. A lot of millennials, that's what they care about. They want work-life balance. They want a fun culture. 
and things like that. And you better create that type of environment or you're going to be left behind as a company and as a hiring manager. I'd say this too, if you have people doing a job that only requires opening a laptop or being on the phone, those people should not be required to come into a building. That's crazy. We need to move way beyond that. The people that should be on the road are the ones that have physically touched something, something tangible. They're doing something to create something or build something, or maybe they got to go to a laboratory or a warehouse or whatever. But all these other jobs that are just opening laptops and being on the phone, those people should be remote if they want to be. So create the new type of environment and don't be left behind in this old school mentality. I think that will help attract and retain people as well. You know, you guys have seen countless video interviews with individuals. And I'm sure that the experience ranges from, are you kidding me, to amazingly good. Could you guys kind of do, cover some of the always and nevers in, in that <laughs> world for the folks that may be doing that video interview? You know, I'm amazed, Bob, every single day. We interview people for a living, right? That's what we do for a living is we interview and place candidates. There's not a day that goes by that I don't interview somebody and I'll go upstairs at the end of the day and talk to my wife and just say, oh my God, holy cow, I don't interview this one guy. I mean, it's just every day. People need to practice interviewing. People need to practice. You need to practice interviewing. Record yourself. Have your spouse record you. Do some mock questions and record it into a camera and play it back and look at yourself. People need to practice. That's number one. Uh, Number two, do your homework on the interview or on the company that you're applying for. Do your homework. Make sure you understand the job spec. Make sure you've done your homework on the company and do your homework on the person interviewing you. Look them up on LinkedIn. So many people just do not prepare. I'm blown away by how many people just casually come into an interview and they haven't done their homework. They haven't done their homework. They can't answer the question, tell me about yourself, and they haven't practiced and they're not prepared. And that blows up their chances to get the job, even though they're qualified. People just don't practice. By the way, for the listeners, the Rider Flex podcast, YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts, look it up. We have over a thousand clips on there. And a ton of them are little short clips on job interviewing, tips on job interviewing, all kinds of things. Scott's got them set up in a playlist. You can learn and listen to those. And even if you know the topic already, it's good to listen to it and be reminded about the things that you should do or not do on interviewing. Scott, anything else on that? No, just the, the preparation piece is key, Bob. It's, I mean, with there really is no excuse with today's technology, with all the different websites and information databases that you can go to to find out little something about the interviewers, Steve said, but specifically the company. I mean, there's plenty of places you can go to find out information on an organization and who they are and how they operate and their all kinds of good stuff. Uh, there's no excuse for not being prepared in these interviews. And as Steve said, it's amazing. How many people show up unprepared to talk about the role and the organization? And it's unfortunate. So just be prepared. Be prepared. What we should do is have them sign a release form before we interview them. And that way, if it goes bad, we can start like a YouTube comedy channel or something. And we can put out all the bad ones. (laughs) Here's my pet. Here's my parakeet. Here's this. Here's that. For me, my phone on ringtone quacks. And in the early part, of the podcast is you'd have one go off quack and you go like, oh, that's professional. But <laughs> I was thinking back to the journey. And when you guys started early on, you guys had a board very early on. Yes. You know, looking back, what impact mm-hmm. has that board had 
on the success of Rider Flex? Great question, Bob. Yeah, we put that advisory board together in the very beginning. I, we called people that were in our personal networks that owned businesses or had been executives. We surrounded ourselves with several key people that could just give us advice on how to set the company up, everything from the operating agreement to the cap table to the website structure. We surrounded ourselves with advisors from the very beginning. And we also gave back. We offered those advisors early on free recruiting and some different things so that we could help them for helping us. And so building out that team early is critical. I think it's super important. And it also gives your brand credibility because you can show that you have support from key people that have owned businesses. I think that was a great move on, not to toot our own horn there, I guess, but that was a great move on our part to surround ourselves with those key people. And they've all been wonderful and they've helped us tremendously. And then the last thing I'll say on that is it's great to be able to call them when you come across a situation that you haven't dealt with. They have, they have experience at it. You can call them for advice and You can just call them when you're super stressed and scared to death because you're wondering whether or not you're going to make payroll this week and whether or not it's going to, (laughs) things are going to be all right. Sometimes you're just like, hey, man, I just need to know everything's going to be okay. (laughs) Uh, Scott, anything else there? I'm going to give all that credit to Steve, Bob. I got to tell you, as we said at the beginning, we both come from professional backgrounds and Steve's leadership history and experience as a CEO and a COO was a critical factor in helping identify, target, and bring that board together. But even beyond that, I think we've done so well and we've been so successful and been able to have so much fun along the way because Steve's experience told us at the very beginning, before we even take our first step, let's create an operating agreement. Let's go ahead and just put on, yes, we're good friends. We've known each other for 15 years, but in business, anything can go wrong at any point in time. If you have a good operating agreement and good foundation at the front, you know, okay, we now have this impasse. We have this difference. We can't seem to get beyond it. Let's go over here. What does the operating agreement say? Okay. It says if we come upon this particular obstacle, we're going to go right. And then you just go right and you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be up at night wondering how you're going to communicate that or, or move through that. And so having an operating agreement, all those foundation pieces in place, and then a board, these trusted people and advisors that we could turn to was all critical in us being able to focus on doing the business every day and not worrying about, you know, all the nitpicky BS. Sometimes it comes with, you know, starting a business with a co-founder or other people involved. You got to be able to know which way the track goes, where the particular forks are that you can take and operate it that way. I give it all to Steve. That experience and having been there, done that, contributed to us being able to put that in place and and have some fun doing this. God, I appreciate that. Bob, I know we're running out of time. I want to just tack onto what Scott said. I want to mention to the listeners right now, if you are a boutique recruiting or staffing firm out there and you have any interest in mergers or you know acquisitions or combining forces or you, know, you don't want to do it alone anymore, you're interested in joining another brand, we are always open to those conversations. We would love to continue to build the company and volume by combining forces with others if they're interested. I mean, we've built it organically ourselves so far, which is great, but we'd love to talk to other firms that might be interested in doing something together. I'm fascinated by how often people don't want to have those conversations because there's so many boutique firms that are owned by uh, founders who just they want to do it their own little way. They want to have their own little life. They don't want to do anything else or work with anybody else. 
we're open for bigger things. We're, we're open for bigger conversations. And so if there's anybody out there that wants to talk about building a bigger brand together, please give us a call, riderflex.com, or you can ping me on LinkedIn or Scott on LinkedIn anytime. We're happy to have those conversations. Then I also just wanted to call out one more time, besides riderflex.com for recruiting services, please check out our podcast. Not only do we have those daily tips that I mentioned on job interviewing and career advice, but we have over 200 guest interviews that have been uploaded. And those are all entrepreneurs, business owners, executives who have shared their story and given advice to the listeners. And there's some wonderful conversations on there if you get a chance to check it out. Well, guys, I know we're bumping into the hard stop here. It's a joy to get to be able to visit with you guys again. You know, I love celebrating your success and, you know, folks can find you on LinkedIn and find you on the internet under RiderFlex. In closing, anything you guys would like to say out there to the business community or the professionals that uh, employ your services? One more time, I want to thank Bob Rourke because if we hadn't met Bob, we, RiderFlex podcast wouldn't exist and the podcast is a big part of our brand as a recruiting firm. So thank you, Bob. We would be happy to work with you, the listener, if you have a recruiting needs. You know, like I said, check our reputation online. Our fees and prices are very competitive. And Scott will be willing to work with you on coming up with some sort of agreement to give us a try. If you've been burned by a crappy contingency recruiting firm out there, give us a call. We're happy to help you in any way we can. All industries, all functions, C-level to associates nationwide. Scott, anything else you want to add to that? No, I was just going to say the one thing that we do know, every company we've talked to or touched or, or had the opportunity to work with, everybody's got a hiring process. Everybody's got something in place to bring on talent. And all we ever do is just ask for one shot, one shot to you know just get a particular role maybe they've been struggling with. Give us one shot to try and fill that role, be compared against whatever processes or opportunities they have in place and make an evaluation. And in most cases, people find value in what we do. We find great hires, they build great teams, and uh, we can do more. So if you are in need and you're looking to partner with somebody, just one chance and guaranteed you'll have our best efforts and some of the best talent coming through. If you're an entrepreneur out there and you're interested in being on the RiderFlex podcast, give Scott a ping on LinkedIn, scott.kegris at riderflex.com. And Scott can uh, talk to you about being a guest and sharing your story and marketing your own brand on our podcast. Guys, it's been a treat. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Thank you. Good to see you.